Get ready, Avalanche Territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Welcome in, everybody, to the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I am Mike Evans, and every week I like to try to get a fun guest on to come on and talk a little hockey, talk a little Avalanche, chop it up, and uh, had this guy on before and back by... I don't know if it's by popular demand, but you're getting them nonetheless. Uh, Masters of the Avalanche, Scott Masters joins us. Scotty, how you doing? Great. How are you? I am great. I I love following you on Twitter because you you don't you're you're like that that classic hockey instigator. You're like a you're like a Claude Lemieux. You're like a Ken Linsman who doesn't mind getting under people's skin, a Brad Marchant. And, boy, you what is your beef with, with Nathan McKinnon? First of all, saying he's, he's no Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews and that instead of complaining about uh, Nazem Kadri, that, that Nazem Kadri should be in the all-star lineup ahead of Nathan McKinnon. What's your beef, man? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it'd like to get the the Avs fans a little bit rattled on on the social media, right? But I think you asked me the question last year uh, on the morning show: who, where, what rank was Nathan McKinnon? And I actually said second, and I still believe that second in the NHL as far as talent wise and what he can do on the ice. But my problem right now, and just and this is a deeper thought that McKinnon may you know win scoring records and may score two goals and two assists in a game and things like that. But I'm a little bit on McKinnon right now to take it to the next step, to win a playoff series on his own um, and take the team to the finals. And so that's why I'm really kind of just on McKinnon because of what he is and what he can be. And I'm not sure if he is that player. If like when I'm talking about, in the playoffs, who do I want? I think there's other players that I'm going to want ahead of McKinnon until he proves me otherwise. Like I would take a Sydney, an older Sydney Crosby now over a McKinnon just because what he does all over the ice. I would take an Austin Matthews over a McKinnon just because of what he does all around the ice. So am I being tough on McKinnon? Yes, I am. But he deserves it because of his talent level and what he can actually do. He's one of the most talented players in the world. I just want that something that, you know, that, that Joe Sackick something, that, uh, that Steve Eiserman something, that, you know, these players that take it to the next level in the playoffs. And we haven't seen that yet, so I want to see it this year. But in fairness to McKinnon, he doesn't really shy away from that, does he? After they lost to, to Vegas, I mean, wasn't he up front saying, man, this, this bleep is getting old, you know, not, not winning, not going deep in the playoffs. This, this is getting old. Yeah, I mean, that's all talk. I mean, that, that that literally is all talk. Yeah, it's old. Sure. Well, okay, Nathan McKinnon, it's it's old that you're part of this team, a major part of this team, and you keep on losing. So a reporter or a regular fan can say that directly back to him. Yeah, it is old. So step it up. Mm-hmm. Do something. You know, like, yeah, he scores goals and he does these things. But was he fantastic against Vegas? No, not really. Did he, like, who was the better team and who was the better players in that league or in that series? It wasn't the Avalanche, and it wasn't Nathan McKinnon for sure. So that's what I'm saying is that he should take up and take that role and and score two goals to assist in a playoff game, in a game seven, a game six, whatever it may take, to get the Avalanche to that next step. 
And so that's what I'm referring to. And, and again, he's scoring goals and he's doing these things, but there's something else there. Does he have it? Does he have that little, mm, uh, you know, like that, that gets teams to win in series. And I just have this feeling that it's not him. Like mm. it, it's just not. And it's, I, I could be proven wrong, but it's just weird and watching the game against in uh, who they played the other day, uh, Toronto, well, Matthews was better. He just was. And that was like a playoff-type game, uh, two of the best teams in the NHL, and who was better? It was, it was Matthews. So that's what I'm referring to as that next step. Okay. Make him a superstar of the superstars. All right, fair point. I think I think it's a fair criticism, especially if you're you're talking about that that high high standard that we we have for this team, which is is to go out and win a Stanley Cup and for their best players to uh, evoke memories of Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg and Patrick Roy, because we know what it looks like around here. We know what greatness looks like, and yeah, you're right. McKinnon is close, but he, he's just not there yet. Nazem Kadri. Does this season that he's putting together does it does it surprise you? Did you think he had this kind of year in him? No, and and that's and that's how good he's been. I mean, we talked last year on the roundtable before the the round second round of the playoffs on how much they were going to miss him. Uh, you know, where was the scoring going to come from without Kadri in there? And it turned out to be true because Kadri fills that that huge role in an NHL team and an NHL playoff team is that second line center is so key because what happened with him without in the lineup last year, then you push the O'Connor, you push her, or sorry, um, uh, Logan, uh, what's his, the other center? I can't. Uh, Confer. Think. JT yeah, Confer. Confer. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. I can, I can say every other C name, but Confer. <laughs> but. So uh, Confer pushed up, you know, so, and that doesn't, that weakens your lineup completely. So now, they have that second line center who's producing, which is huge. So if the top line of McKinnon, you know, doesn't score one night, well, then you got the second line scoring that does great. Have I ever seen him score this much? I've never seen him score this much, nor has anyone else. So this has been a surprise and a pleasant surprise. But the negative to it is, what's going to happen next year? There's no way I see a very, very slim chance that he signs back with Avalanche. Really? Why? I mean, every everywhere I turn, folks who cover this team, who follow this team closely, say that this is a no-brainer. Joe, get it done. Why well, not? It, it could be a, it could be a no-brainer on Joe's part, but it's it's probably not a no-brainer for Kadri. You're talking about him scoring 100 points this year. What do the Avalanche have to pay? They, ha- I, in my opinion, they should sign Nathan McKinnon this summer. They don't want to put Nathan McKinnon to a UFA, uh, unrestricted free agent, because who knows what happens out in the open market. Mm-hmm. And and if they lose, say if they lost this year or next year, and then you have a free agent Nathan McKinnon, is he going to think about another team? Maybe. So I think you have to sign Nathan McKinnon first this year and then figure out the goaltending. There's, there's a lot of other things. You can't pay... Cadre seven eight million dollars. You can't. It's just the way the Avalanche are set up right now. They're going to have to go a different route. And unfortunately, I think Cadre would be out. Yeah, you know, you, you do have to think about that because you're talking about somebody who'll be in his age thirty two season next year, and all it takes is one team to say, "Hey, yeah, we'll go, we'll go four years, thirty two million." And yep. if you're Joe Sakic, who 
you know, probably has learned some lessons over the years about, hey, you, you want to stay away from those aging veterans at the end of deals, you know, the Francois Beauchemins and the, the Jerome Ginlas of the world. You, you want to avoid that. I mean, do you want to sign a deal that maybe will look good and feel good in the, in the first year or two, but then those last two years you're looking at a 35- or 36-year-old centerman? Yeah, and that's that's the makeup of the team, right? Like you can't afford him. You just signed Landis God to a longer term deal. You got Makar set up, and then McKinnon's next. McKinnon's going to be twelve or thirteen million, you know. So that's a huge chunk, and then you still have to find a goalie. So that's where the the limitations come to. Okay, well, what are you going to pay Kadri? And I I just don't think there's going to be enough room for him, especially after this year, where he's putting up all star points, all star numbers. Uh, playing all great aspects of the whole entire 200 feet. You know, it's just going to be that way out. And unfortunately for the Avalanche, I think he's gone. Yeah, Toronto will probably go out and overpay him and welcome him back, you know, (laughs) bygones be bygones type thing. Um, Busy with Scott Masters, Masters of the uh, Avalanche here as we talk some pucks. Uh, You you say the Avalanche still need to find a goalie. You you mean you you don't think what they have right now works? Yeah. You know, I'm not, no, I'm not sold uh, for sure on, when I say a goalie on two levels, one, the goalie who's going to win the playoff series and who's going to win the cup. I don't think they have that right now. Um, And then also um, after the season, you have what goalie under contract. So either you sign the current goaltender that you have, which is going to cost you a little bit more or longer term, or you go on, you're basically going back to the market to find that free agent goaltender or you go in-house with one of the younger goaltenders, which, again, you're in the same situation you were last year of trying to pay, uh, you know, a goalie that you're kind of in and out on, um, you know, a lot of money, or you go back to the free agent market. So uh, on both levels, I'm not sold. I'm not sold on the current goaltending that's going to win the cup that's on the roster this year. And then next year, who are you going to sign uh, and at what money? All right, let's do a little inside hockey here, and, and, and please feel free to, to go as detailed and as um, X's and O's as you'd like. When you watch Darcy Kemper, what reservations do you have of him as a goaltender? Uh, that's a good question, and I, I don't mean to rag on him by any means. I mean, he's a, he's a good goaltender. Uh, I want him to play bigger um, at all levels. Um across the board. I think he's a big goaltender that plays a little bit small um, and pucks find the way through at times. So I want him to be a little bit stronger mentally uh, on the ice and about his, where his positioning is um, and stay strong to that, to that role and to that position. So play a little bit bigger overall. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Patrick Wall was, if you think about, yeah, you know, players coming down on the wing and, and shooting on Patrick Law, where did they have to shoot at? Not not really anywhere. And that's either he was aggressive in his uh, positioning coming out on, on players and limiting the angles on shooting. Uh, I think Kemper allows a little bit more um, opportunity to score and, and pick those corners. Mm. Uh, is playing bigger just simply a matter of positioning? Or yeah, is it think, is it something yeah. else? Yeah, I think it's both. I think well, the biggest biggest thing about playing bigger in the net is positioning because the further you come out mm-hmm. and the, your better angles, you you know you just look bigger to the to the the shooters. So that's the big thing. But also mentality. I think 
is you know in your mind that you're you you are really big there's no way they're going to find um the back of the net with the way you're playing so i think it's a mentality and a position i think it's both um and what comes across if you have that mentality of like hey look how big i am i'm you know like I'm strong mentally, I'm strong in the net, you know, there's no way they're going to score me. Well, that's going to come across as a lot more saves. Well, uh, Darcy Kemper was certainly big enough of a target for Jordan Greenway to uh, to run into, and I'm, I've, I've looked at it a number of times, and, and knowing I was going to ask you about it, I just looked at it again. How was that not a suspendable hit? I mean, it, this, this wasn't just a collision. This was a guy who put a little extra into that collision with Kemper. How how is that not leading to a suspension? Yeah, talk about um playing big. Greenway is is a huge player. Um and and plays that style when he wants to and when he can. So I, I definitely thought he had an attempt to to hit the goalie there. I think it should have been a five minute penalty and a and a game uh right away. I think it should have been reviewed and, and and give him that. Um, and then also, yeah, I, I do think it's a, a suspension. I don't see how it's not. It's uh, a tent to hit the goalie in the head. That's basically defensive, defenseless. So I agree with uh, most Avs fans out there. Maybe some wild fans out there agree too, but I think it's definitely a couple games suspension based on what we've seen around the league. All right. So w- what do you find uh, that you disagree with so much with the NHL's uh, explanation as to why it wasn't well i don't know if i necessarily saw their word for word why it wasn't um but there is no <laughs> there's no reason why to explain it that it isn't you know like whatever they said was wrong it just it is it's just a hit to the head uh intentional hit to head so plain simple it's that clear uh suspend um for me and i think it should have been reviewed early even earlier during the game and so i think that's what the nhl needs to get better is reviewing those type of hits during the game quickly and not take five ten minutes uh nfl has done a better job at you know reviewing plays like that quicker uh in new york city i think nhl needs to do better at that too all right well let's go down that road because the nfl in its attempt to try to protect its players more has received a lot of criticism from fans and media that they've really softened the game. The game has been wussified. It's no longer football. It's uh, it's touch football. It's arena football. Uh, and all under the guise of, hey, we're trying to protect these guys. Uh, should the NHL be criticized for not following the NFL's lead, or should they be applauded <laughs> for not following the NFL's lead and still understanding this is a rough-and-tumble sport? I think the NHL needs to do a little bit better job on head-to-head contact or uh, head contact in general if it's from a shoulder or a knee or anything like that because, my goodness, like watching the football game last night in Buda Baker, like that is yeah. just a vicious, vicious hit and scary hit and should have been a penalty on either the running back or the defensive back, probably the running back in that manner because he's so aggressive head-to-head. It's just a vicious sport football is and so is hockey too but not as much head-to-head contact as football does so i think nhl has the room to continue to grow into less or less head-on-head contacts or shoulder-on-head contacts i think there's always room to help them 
Um, and I think they've done a great job on getting seeing players on the ice that have that contact and have been kind of woozy, uh, concussion-like in the upstairs spotter to get the players off the ice, which I think is huge because players will play, 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 play. Um, so I think the NHL is doing good. I think it could push it even a little further with uh, reviews, quicker reviews. Um, I don't think it, the head-on-head contacts and head-shoulder contacts that really need to be in hockey. I think it can be limited to the shoulder and the chest and shoulder and shoulder where guys really emphasize on that. Um, and I think that's the way for the, the NHL to go. The problem with it is is that these NHL players now are so young – and we talked about Landis Gog hit early in the year when he got suspended yep. on a younger Chicago Blackhawks player who was two or three feet away from the boards. Well, these younger players have grown up now in the systems where there's not as much hitting. So you talk about, you know, the older guys that grew up hitting at a young age of 13 and 14. Well, now little leagues and, and minor hockey have eliminated hitting so much that these players don't know how to protect themselves. Mm. So that's a little bit of an odd way of when, you know, junior leagues eliminate checking altogether uh, or really eliminate it. And even during COVID time, which is weird, is, you know, almost a six foot distancing, which is odd. But the player, the defensive player is not allowed to protect themselves because they don't know how. And so that's the kind of difference is that you're going from zero to 90 really, really quick. Um, and players just don't know how to protect themselves as much as they did. And that's a prime example of Gabe Lambert's hit is that he positions himself, the Chicago Blackhawks, Kirby Dock, I believe, positions himself exactly three or four feet away. That's a dangerous, dangerous spot to be. Yeah, players were used to taught if you had the puck and you're about to get hit to go uh, up against the boards. So there's no rebound effect. Like you don't get hit twice. You just get hit once on the player and getting hit twice causes much more damage by getting hit by the line of Scott and then getting hit by the boards. That's two hits within a second, and that's what was really, really difficult. Visit with Scott Masters. Uh, Scott, last one for me. The NHL reportedly is going to stop testing asymptomatic players and staff for COVID after the upcoming All-Star break. This a move that you agree with? Yeah, I do. I think there's been a lot of uh, games that have been postponed or, I don't know, it's so tough. <laughs> Who knows what the right way to do it is. But, you know, I, I, it's it was so common, you know, during the Christmas break and a couple weeks up to the Christmas break of that everyone had COVID and so it's tough to play. Um, you know, <laughs> I may have to pass on that one, but... Um, well, let me I, take it. I'll take. I'll take it, and then let, let you respond. Okay. If we if we've learned anything from these professional sports leagues, they're determined. There's too much money at stake. Too much money to be made. Too much money to be lost. To not try to power through this thing. And if your mentality is that we are going to do this, we are going to have a season. We are going to crown a champion. Then I, I don't think you can go about it. Uh, well, quite frankly, half-assed. I think you just have to say, we're going to do this, and this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to power through it. And if it means that uh, we're, we're, we're letting people who might have COVID, but they're not showing signs, and we're not going to test them, I, I think that's the way you have to go. I, I, I don't think that you can continue to 
uh, behind closed doors say, we, you know, <laughs> full steam ahead with the, the, the torpedoes, okay? We are going to finish this season and then submit a season in which games are being postponed, teams are being shut down for a week, players are here, players are gone. I, in my opinion, when it comes to the pro leagues, uh, if you're going to power through it, then power through it. Let these guys play, unless it's obvious that they're they're affected by something. All right, that's my yeah. opinion. Yours? Yeah, I can see that. I can I, I agree with that. That you're putting these players in in unsafe positions, anyways. Like in a way, you're putting them on planes, you're putting them in airports, you're putting them. You know, it's going to be known that these players are going to be um, susceptible to other, you know, to more viruses than you know any other normal Joe who is working from home, right? So. I think that goes along the lines of, hey, if you're going to do, if you're going to play, then play. And, uh, you know, if someone's sick, they're sick. It's just the way it is. And I think uh, it's the only way to get through a league or a season kind of fairly, I guess, you know, with the terms you're talking about not to half-ass it and, and go with it and and uh, proceed. Because if a player tests positive and doesn't have any symptoms, then is he okay to play? And, you know, that's it's probably up to the player and put it in the player's hands and, and, uh, you know, see what they say about it. Yeah. Look, if, if you're, if you're really, really concerned about it, then shut your season down, <laughs> you know, shut it down for a couple of weeks, but they clearly don't want to do that. So right. if you don't want to do that, then I think this is the way to go. Um, Scotty, I, I, I want to bring this up as, as we wrap things up here on the mile high hockey podcast. Cause I, uh, I, I noticed with interest there as you were talking about the way that young players are being taught the game and maybe not having that kind of on-ice awareness that they, they used to have. This is, this is kind of part of what you're doing, and I'd love for you to be able to promote and talk a little bit about what you're doing with uh, Eric Lacroix. Yeah, um, Lacroix Hockey, you know, we started it just uh, over the last year and uh, just really just teaching kids all over the, the, the game all around, and uh, that means – off-ice conditioning, uh, some mental health aspects, um, just skill development all over the thing. So we're building this this little uh, hockey training facility uh, out at Family Sports Center. And so the kids are going to be able to um, to train basically year-round on and off the ice. And so, uh, but turn into an advising, advising young players and, and managing some of these pro players that come out and kind of similar to what Pierre Lacroix did and continuing his legacy. So a lot of good things and a lot of fun things ahead. And the website for that, if people would like to learn more about it? Yeah, LacroixHockey.com is the best site and kind of just gives an overview of who we are and what we're going to do. And we'll keep on adding to it. And and uh, if fans go to family sports and watch the Avalanche practice and we'll just around the corner and stop by and say hi. Yeah, and uh, you can stop by, say hello, be friendly, and act like you're going to be really nice to Scott, <laughs> and then you can attack him for hating Nathan McKinnon so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of, instead of uh, you know, a blind hate tweet, you know, yes, like, just, who is this yeah, from? Right. Just show your face and yeah. let's talk about it. Let's, yeah. yeah, let's hash it out. Hey, Scott, I always <laughs> enjoy uh, when you come on. You always deliver the goods. So thank you so much, and uh you know we'll be doing this again uh, very, very soon. So uh, thank you for joining us here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Thanks, Mike. I always enjoy it. All right. Uh, that'll do it for the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you tell all your friends about it. We'll be back again with another edition next week.